Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Sword of Bedweer, book one in the Crimson Shadows series, cha- uh, chapters prologue to chapter three. But first, I need to introduce my co-host here, indie author, one of my best friends, Justin Mason. What's up? Hey, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Now, we got to have some background to this, man. We have been trying to record this first breakdown episode for like two or three weeks now. Yeah. And we're finally doing it. Like, I'm so excited to be here tonight. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to work with you. Obviously, Sword of Bedouin is a book that I'm actually really enjoying. And, uh, you know, we talked about this in the in the book announcement, how I had read Luthien's Gamble, which is the second book in the series. Yep. Back when I was in uh, middle school. So didn't know there was a first book. Didn't know there was a third book. Thought it was its own adventure. And uh, now we're jumping in tonight. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, the prologue hits us with a banger, man. There is a lot of information in that first page and a half. Prologue's a banger, dude. What did you think about the prologue? Well, here's the thing, right? So when my brother and I wrote our first book, The Trinity of Heroes, um, we had this like five... 10, however long it was, page introduction. Backstory of the lands, of the characters, of the good, the bad, the in-betweens, the bandits, all that stuff. The dragons, everything. It was just backstory, backstory, backstory. It's what they call an info dump, right, in the writing world. And so Salvatore here, in a page and a half, does an info dump. But it's so intriguing and it is so compact, you don't notice it as a reader. You don't think. so good. You don't think to yourself... God, I hate this. This is boring. You think to yourself, well, this is a fun world to play in. I can't wait to read more. And that's what I loved about this prologue. And as a writer myself, I took a lot from it. How to write that opening page and a half that makes you say, yep, I'm going to keep this book. I'm going to read more. It kind of reminded me of like a, a D&D session where like you start off and it's like, this is this is the world we're in. These are the the rules or the, the people that are in power. Yep. And... Uh, here's some interesting crap, and here's our main character. Go. And literally the end of the prologue says, like... This and, is his story. Yeah, and this is his story. 100% agree with you. I'm right on the same page as you are. It's loaded with information, whether you're talking about the Dorsal Sea, the where the Fairborns are from, Barbarian Raiders, the Hugos. It doesn't matter. There's so much information. It's packed to the brim. And I absolutely love that about this prologue. And, you know, this first, like I said, this introduction tells you everything you need to know about the world. Yeah, so let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Sure, because so that's what this that is wanted... all about, right, Dan? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly sure. what I was getting towards is... Uh, with this podcast, besides just saying, oh, it was great. Uh, the prologue was a banger. You should it read was, it. And then it that's the end of the clip. Yeah. And actually, we're going to end the episode right here. Yep. We said everything we need to say. I'm that's Justin, it. indie author. Be sure to buy my book, Trinity of Heroes. It's on Amazon. I oh, want to thank Dan for having me on tonight. And we'll see you right here next week for more Sword of Bedware. Good night, Sm- everyone. Yep. <laughs> Smash the bell. like, Smash the like subscribe. button. Subscribe. <laughs> You know, all that good stuff. Okay, so here we go. So I I wrote a a small summary on it. And in your case, a small summary is 10 to 15 pages, correct? It could. No. You wrote 10 10 to 15 pages on the two-page prologue. (laughs) 13. It's not that big. Okay. No, it's not on the prologue. It's from prologue to chapter three. All right, brother. Okay, so um, here's uh, kind of the, the gist of what happened in the prologue. Sure. So 600 years ago. You're already in your mind. 600 years ago, yep. there was a dude named Bruce MacDonald, old MacDonald. He rid the yes. northern lands of uh, Eriador from the Cyclopean Horde. Then, so, okay, so there we go. 600 years ago, there was a guy named Bruce MacDonald. Kind of a weird name. The Unifier. The un- A.K.A. the Unifier, bro. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, we have to get into the names at some point, how awesome they are. So Bruce MacDonald rid... The northern lands of Eriador. Okay, what are we talking about when we say northern lands of Eriador? Let me just pull this over. You're not going to see this, Justin, but... That's okay. Uh, I can follow on the back of my hardcover physical Hell copy yeah. book. Okay, so Eriador, if you look on the on the map, I'm, I'm putting my cursor on it, but I can't see it in the stream. Oh, how do I... Okay, well, whatever. We're just... If you look on the top part of that island, there's Eriador. So you can even see MacDonald's Swath. Just above yeah. the uh, felling downs. Yeah, well, it looks like we got Crawlwind, we got Minichin D, Fields of 
Aronoch, we've got Ariador, Bronigan, and we've got McDonald Swath right there in the top. So yep. that's probably the Northern Lands they're talking about. So that's about. the Northern Lands uh, from the Cyclopean Horde, sure. uh, which are just one of the creatures that they mentioned. Cyclopeans, yep. it's just a Cyclops, but, you know, like a little bit smaller than a man. We'll get into that. Then 300 years later, so 300 years later after that, the Gascons rolled in with their armies. Gascony is at the very southern portion of the map. It's another landmass. We don't know how big the land is. We just know that it's huge. And they come rolling in, and they they wipe, they defeat Avon, which is the lower portion of this island. Eriador is the northern part of the island. Avon is the lower part of the island. And um, But they get stopped by the Eridorans who rolled uh, or who rallied to Bruce's names to Bruce's names 300 years later. So that's like, um, that's like if, I don't know, do we have like, like let's say George Washington was a bigger deal than he was. I mean, he was pretty big, but let's say all of a sudden the British tried to take us over again or something like that. And then we're like, no, you won't George Washington, you know, and, and that rallied the troops. And then we, we took them over again. So basically Gascony, they roll up, they try to take over this 300 years after the fact of Bruce, they try to roll, they roll halfway through the island, but get freaking stopped at the Iron Cross or the, so, you know, the mountains and stuff like that. So you can see we have Eriador up top in the north, and we have Avon, and then in parentheses, Elkinador mm-hmm. uh, in the south. So yeah. you see you have Eriador and Elkinador. Okay. So that's just something I want to bring up. I was trying to click the raise my hand button on the little ch- on the little. Oh, voice I didn't page. even see it. I'm sorry, well, dude. No, it's okay. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. I don't know. Does your map have that in parentheses yep. underneath Avon? Okay, I wanted to make yep. sure we have the same. Elkinador. Yep. Okay. Okay. So then. Cool. Very cool. Um. So, defeating Avon, but getting stopped by the Eridorans, Ar- Ar- who rallied to Bruce's name 300 years later. Bruce was a big deal. Then 20 years ago, after taking over Avon. The Wizard King Green Sparrow, his first Duke Croesus, and uh, and the One Eyes couldn't break through into Eriador either. So let's t- break that down. Go ahead. I see you're about to say something. Well, so you mentioned Croesus. Now, is it? Am I correct in uh, remembering that Croesus is that main general from the Cyclopean army? Correct. Yes, the big dog, right? Is his first Duke, and and we'll 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 go into the more the breakdown of the 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 details a little bit more after this about who are the important names sure, who are the, sure. the people or who are the different types of creatures or species or whatever. But just the base summary, um, after taking over Avon 20 years ago, now it's just 20 years ago. Just imagine the year 2000, the millennium yep. has happened. Yep. And this dude named King Green Sparrow, wizard King yep. rolls into Avon, just like the Gaskins did takes it over. No problem. And he has a Duke, which is named Croesus, which is the leader of the One-Eyes. And then this is when they first introduced the term One-Eyes uh, for the Cyclopeans. And they, but they couldn't break an area door. So not a big deal. Seems normal. But then some black magic plague. It does. It's very vague on this. But some black magic plague swept over all of Eriador, not touching Avon, the place that he had already taken over. And it killed two out of every three people, rendering the rest too weak to fight. So in the northern area. Go ahead. So one thing I want to say, and this is just uh, this is speculation. I again, I'm only to the, ch- I'm only about six chapters in, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to make I want to make a very serious point here. So you think about that, right? The Black Plague, this plague that weakens everyone, makes them sick, kills two yeah. out of three. I mean, Black this magic. is this is this is desecration. Like this is it's vicious. Rough. This is rough, right? So let's talk about it like this for a second. What does that say then about? Green Sparrow. So I'm not saying Green Sparrow is not a threat because I don't actually know the full depth of his character yet. I haven't really had a chance to d- delve into him too deeply. But what does that say? He needed to use black magic to kill two out of every three Eriadorians in order to conquer it. Think Correct. about that for a second. Let that sink in for a second. So what if, you know, I think about, I see some of the things that have happened in the first chapters. And what if everyone just banded together and said, no, screw you. We're not going for this anymore and started fighting back. Can you, without that black magic, it's not crazy to think that Eriador could easily liber- liberate itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day. Because I was, I was, I got to thinking about that, um, the black plague, the the black magic that he was using, and I thought to myself, if he needed that much help to conquer Ariador, 
Well, now when everyone's healthy and strong like Luth like Luthien is, well, they should have no trouble freaking barreling over him. I was just well, thinking that, about that. Right that's the thought. point. Um, you know, it killed two out of every three. Mm-hmm. So there, the crop was thinned quite a bit. And so now after that, well, let's just, I'll just read forward. So and here's another thing. It didn't even touch Avon. So it just damaged the people from the Northern Lion, Northern Island. Um, okay. So Green Sparrow is now the ruler of everything. The Fairborn, which are the elves, fled and the dwarves were enslaved. Now, did they so, flee to Baraduin? Is that where they are now? Yes. Baradwizzy. Baradwizzy. So that means that even if people are healthy now, um, they are under Green Sparrow's command. So it's like, it's Stockholm kind of syndrome. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, you know, we're getting healthy, but can we actually take this guy on? And if we yeah. would, would we just experience another plague? Yeah, would he just kill us all again? So let's go over. Um, Good point, Dan. Sorry about that. Uh, places on the map. So now that sure. I have the map up, and then I'll take it away. Um, so. Places that they mentioned. Well, what do you want to go over first? The places on the map, the species, or the people? Well, why don't we talk? Why don't we just uh, work our way uh, right down the list? Uh, we, I know you and I were kind of trying to discuss this back when uh, you were sick about a week ago. We were trying to discuss this initially. Why don't we just do what we were doing then and uh, just take us right down the list, Dan? Go ahead. Okay. And lead us through it. Pardon the cough there. <clears throat> okay. So we'll start with... Uh, on the map, places of note, Baraduin, which is on the west of the map. Yep. Shaking the map. Here it is. Baraduin on the left. Um, that is the land of folk, which are humans, and fairborn, which I'm assuming are elves. That's, you know, I they didn't they don't outright say elves, but I think they mentioned something about pointy ears. Okay, land of green and rainbows. Cool. Okay, so that's where the 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 fairborn fled to 20 years ago. Okay, then there's the five sentinels, aka the windbreakers. That's on the east. It's that um, string of five islands on the on the right side of the map, just under the compass, with the multicolored lichen that grow great, that glow at night. Great point. Okay, so uh, the description of this place, and this is all in the prologue. He mentions these things in the prologue, and then says next a uh, couple sentences: uh, barren peaks, huge horned sheep, and multicolored lichen that grow. Eerily when glow the sun is set. eerily. Excuse when the me, are you set. saying G L O? I am. That's what my I'm saying G R O. Why would I say that? Because in the Kindle version that I'm reading, it says grow. And it works the, either way though. In the hardcover, what does it say? Um, it says uh multicolored lichen that glows eerily when the sun has set. So I think it's supposed to be glows. I think grows a uh, yeah. version is a mistake or it could be taken it's, either way. It doesn't It's really weird. Matter. Like it, you know, if the sun set and then there's a plant that's like growing all over the, the, right, right. the cliff side, that's kind of badass. but it just makes more sense that it glows eerily. So whatever, just a little, you know, little thing that I noticed. Um, also something else that I noticed is the, the, in the, um, the audible version, which I'm listening to while I'm reading it. Okay. Um, the narrator, I don't know if he just got his his copy all in in all caps or something, but uh -huh. he doesn't pronounce Eriador as Eriador. He pronounced it as Erlador. So well, when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, that makes at, sense. And then I well, read the map, and I'm like, oh. Look at how it's written on the back cover, right? Like, you very easily could mistake that I for an L, and it might even be Erlador, but in the book, it's Eriador. Yeah, like, exactly. There's no mispronunciation there. So, you know, whatever, small things. Yeah. Okay, so that's the uh, five sentinels. Then we got Pretoria. It, he mentions Pretoria and says it's the most populated and civilized, heavily heavy trade with the mainland, cities dot the countryside. There is no Pretoria on this map. So my guess is what that is referenced to is the main island, you know, where it's got Avon yeah. and Eriador. Yeah. I'm guessing that's what it means. Yep. And I agree. Like the term Pretoria kind of glimpses back to like Praetorian, which is like a Praetorian is um, a guard of the emperor in Roman times. So mm -hmm. Pretoria would be like all the land, I guess. So I'm guessing Pretoria is the mainland. All right. And then you got... Uh, Eriador, which is the north mainland, 
Um, and it's mentioned as untamed, land of war and hardy folk who can farm and fight. A lot of clans who have deep loyalties. To fight a man is to fight all his kin. I thought that was a cool line. And then you got um, Avon, which is uh, El Kinador, which is the lower part of the mainland, lower part of Pretoria. So within Eriador, though, um, we've got a couple clans. So that's when it brings up the Hugoths, which are the barbarian raiders, warlike folk, nev- and they never enslave people. There's some sort of loyalty or like, not loyalty, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, honor? Code of honor. Like that. Yeah, where they don't enslave people, but they're barbarians. And then you got the Eridorans, which are the common folk. They're equal to Hugoths in kill count. He makes a point of I'm mentioning that. That even though they're not warlike and even though they're not barbarians, they you know, they have an equal kill count to each other. Well, I think that explains why Green Sparrow had to use the black magic, because first of all, how are you gonna conquer both the Hugoths and the Ariadorians without something like that, especially when you have two very fierce warrior races? Yeah. Well, you know, um, the Eridorans, the, just the humans or the common folk, they're not like a fierce warrior race. They're just really hardy. You know, yeah. they live in the northern part of this island. They, yeah. I mean, and we'll get into it, but they have like, uh, in chapter one, they explain this whole like arena system. I think it's chapter one uh, about how like everyone in all of Pretoria has arenas where they train, you know, or not in all of Pretoria, but in Eriador, the northern part. And it's like, it's like a requirement that they all learn how to fight a little bit okay uh moving on uh the iron cross which is right in the middle it, it splits um Eriador with avon and that is the home of the cyclopeans so that's when we first get to mention cyclopeans yes. which are that cyclops race okay then we got gascony which is that southern place that 300 years ago tried to take over um all of pretoria but only got through avon and then got stopped in Eriador. Uh, south of the island, separated by the Dorsal Sea, which this is where I get confused because they got the Avon Sea in the upper left. They got the Dorsal Sea in the upper right. But whatever. I guess it's, you know, whatever. It, it, it seems whatever. Let's move on. Sorry. Uh, vast kingdom that set sent armies up to Avon to conquer and civilize after losing to McDonald. Well, I guess they didn't lose to McDonald. They lost to the people cheering to McDonald. Um, in the north, they built a wall between Avon and Eriador and left the island 300 years ago. Wow. So they built a wall between Avon and Eriador. So, Probably because they didn't want anybody from Eriador to come and kick their ass out of there. Yep. Um, and also they said that they came there to conquer and civilize. So when we meet, we'll eventually meet a, a character who is from Gascony and... Oh, Yes, and he is very much a civilized gentle man. Gentle half man. Okay, then we got Avon. Of, are you speaking of the character that I just met? Um Yes, I am. I love it. Love Deboros. it. Deboros. Okay. We'll get to it, guys. Okay, Avon, aka Elkin. Next week, smash subscribe for more. <laughs> Word, smash it, smash the those Reddit buttons. I don't know. Oh, God. Mid, okay, so mid to Southern Island. Got ran over by the islands of Gascony. Okay. Then we got uh, Carlisle on the River Stranton. Yes. Okay. So that one is uh, uh, Southern Avon. So it's on the very southern tip. And um, it's on the River Stratton. And this is where arose the Wizard King Greensparrow. Okay. So just to keep that in mind. Um, and then we got Mount, Montfort, Montfort, formerly Care McDonald, which is a mining city, which is now Green Sparrow's eighth, Green Sparrow's eighth Duke was appointed there Damn. in Montfort. All right. Um, okay. So then, uh, moving on to Flora, we got multicolored lichen, which was in the prologue that is on the Sentinels. Uh, we got in Beridwin, they got the land of green. So they got a bunch of stuff. Fauna, we got huge horn sheep. So they got big sheep. Nice. Uh, the five sentinels are on the east, and then they got great whales um, located in the dorsal sea. And later they will um, kind of go into more about what creatures are in the ocean. They have like killer whales or something. Yeah, they're very uh, like the, they make Aggressive. a very very solid point about this dorsal sea. Like, do not go there yeah, unless you are prepared. They got yeah, man eating so, whales. And then for, as far as species go, we got the folk, which is the humans. We got the Fairborn, which is the elves. They live in the Beridwee now, which they had fled to 20 years ago. We got the dwarves. 
They forged weapons, and they were enslaved 20 years ago by Greensboro after the Black Magic Plague. We got the Cyclopeans. They're one-eyed brutes, savage, and merciless, which they every time they mention the freaking Cyclopeans, they're like, these guys are savage. They're merciless. And then you meet one, and it's, like, incredibly articulate. Yeah, but it's whatever. just like, yeah, it's like, it's not like, oh, human, you die. Yeah. Like, like, okay, if you ever played Baldur's Gate 2, like, that's how the, that's how the Cyclops and the Golems talking, oh, human, you die. And now it's like, you, you read their talk and it's like, it's so normal, but maybe, maybe Salvatore's doing that on purpose, right? I hope so, like, because it makes them way more interesting. It makes them yeah. way more dangerous. Yeah. I mean, they have their downfalls. They have one eye, so they have, you know, bad depth perception, but they work around it. Okay. Special people. Bruce McDonald. Hell the yeah. Unifier. Yeah. He's known as the Unifier. So He's he a- has a special name, right? Yeah. So, you know, whenever I read a book or whenever I read anything or even when I write something, if you give a character a special name, that that's kind of a sign like, hey, this person matters. And uh, you usually don't do that for a character unless they're really important. You know what I mean? Yep. So I've been paying special attention to McDonald and it's like, I mean, his name keeps coming up. He's all over this prologue, all over the map even. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, and they call him the Unifier, like, brings the lands together. That's that's kind of what I think of when I see that. The people are, yep. are, are, are rallied behind him. And, I mean, look at how long his name has lived on. What was that, 600 years after his death? Yep. That's crazy. That's well, insane. Well, you know, I don't know if it's 600 years after his death. Because it was 600 years ago that he cleared the land of the bad Cyclopians. I don't know if he died 600 years ago. And, and yet it was just when the victory yeah, occurred. That's possible. And yet there's still places named after him. People still rally to his name during battle. I mean, that's a big deal. I take yeah, that people as a still big deal. Me- I mean, even though, um, like, Care uh, McDonald is not is no longer called Care McDonald. It's called something else. Uh, where was that? Um... I don't know. Uh, it was it was up there. Okay, I so Kerry McDonald. Yep. Yeah, he. It's not even called that anymore. But they mention it. They're like, oh, that's old Kerry McDonald. You know, like that's that's what we used to call it. That's the old name for it. It's like old Highway Fifty Seven. You know. They still know what it's called though. Yep. Um. So, yeah, he's the unifier, and th- and this is the first tip off, and you know this this podcast full of spoilers. Everyone gonna just spoil stuff. That's what this yeah. is for. You read along with us and we discuss it. Yep. So this is going beyond the book for me. And I want to talk to you about this, Justin. Okay, so before we do that, I want to make should a blanket I not? Sta- I want I just want to make a blanket statement. Yep. Spoiler alert for every episode on this channel after this. Go ahead, Dan. Cool. Okay, thank you. Yep. So when you first brought this book to my attention, you said like I read this really cool book by R.A. Salvatore. Okay, I was sold. R.A. Bob, <laughs> we're good. But you're like, yeah, it's this book about this guy that gets hit by a car and then ends up in a fantasy land. And I'm like, okay. I'm reading this book and I see Bruce McDonald and I'm like, okay, this takes place in another world. Yeah, or or like, okay, no, I see Bruce McDonald, but I'm like, that's the guy that goes to the other world or something like that. But then you never hear from him again. Okay. Is this too much spoiler? Or is this like I, like, I you, did not I see a freaking thing. I read. Okay, let me tell you this too. I read through the whole freaking book. I wanted to see this car. I have to tell you something. Yeah. I may have. I may have been mistaken. <laughs> I may have Dude, been mistaken. Was... <laughs> that. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so tell me or tell the people what you told me about this book that you read, the second book. About this guy, he's driving down the road, yep. he gets run off the road by somebody at the start, flat, yep. his life flashes, and he ends up in this other world. Book's called Luthien's Gamble, and I may even be wrong about that. I may legitimately have my book screwed up. So here's the thing about that. I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. You know, I trust Bob to make a, a real-world connection with a fantasy world. I hear a name like Bruce McDonald. That is not a fantasy-ass name. It's just not. I mean, McDonald, is it? Eh, kind of. You know, if you're like... Uh, a farming folk and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, that's got to be the guy. And then there's little things that uh, crop up here and there in the first couple chapters that um, just make me think, okay, this is connected to the real world somehow. I'm looking for the connections. And, and a name like Bruce McDonald brings me to the real world. But I read through the whole freaking book. There is no mention of any other world. 
So we may be reading a completely different series from what you were thinking. It's very possible that we are. Okay. I did read Luthien's Gamble, or, or however. Okay, so I just thought that was funny. Just a funny aside. So I, through this whole read, I'm I'm like listening and reading for any little glimpse into, okay, here we go. We're going to the real world. They talked about how, hey, the weather's kind of cold here in August. And I'm like, okay, they're using real world months. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Anyway, going on. We're still in the prologue, people. Okay. So we got Green Sparrow. This is the big, big guy. Wizard King. We assume he's a folk, a human. A fierce man of high ambition and evil means. Signed an evil pact with Cyclopean leader Croesus to take over Avon in two weeks. He took it over in two weeks and plans to conquer the north. The untamed lands, as they call it, Eriador. Maybe behind, maybe behind, he may be behind the dark magic plague that ransacked the northern untamed lands of Eriador and allowed him to sweep it up. Croesus or Green Sparrow is behind the plague? We don't know for sure. He, it's, it's alluded to that he may be behind the black plague. Croesus or Green Sparrow? Green Sparrow. And, um, well, don't just really for, know just for clarification you know we don't know wanted. all how it's written in the book is that he is the wizard king came up from that uh the carlisle on stratton yeah looking at it right now and um he took over avon the the southern part of pretoria um in two weeks no problem i don't know why there's such pushovers they just are that you know they they're more concerned with bartering and you know isn't politics. avon tired of getting their asses kicked I like think they've they been conquered care. like how many times now? <laughs> I think they don't give a crap. I think Gascony like, came ah, in there and took over. Who am I paying my taxes to? I don't uh, care. <laughs> Let me grow some more corn. Yeah. Jimmy, get Green Sparrow some corn. Don't mess with McDonald's boys up north, though. They're, They're going to take you out. Beers. You better put some fucking plague on those guys. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Turns out this is this takes place in fantasy Chicago. <laughs> Um, hey but, ma, give me the pizza, ma. Uh, so all it says about the dark magic is it doesn't even say that maybe he did. It just says then a dark magic plague swept over the northern lands. It doesn't say who did it. So, okay, is it possible that Green Sparrow is working with somebody else? For sure, I think he's working with demons. I, I think he's going to the freaking demon realm. I feel you on them demons. Cause okay, so cause in I mean, in this in this prologue, it starts with come up, Green Sparrow, Wizard King, gets Croesus, makes a pact with Croesus of the One Eyes from the Iron Cross, takes over Avon in two weeks, no problem, all goes according to plan. This guy Green Sparrow, he's of high ambition. He wants to take over the whole land. That's fine. Then after that. They get blocked by Eriador because those guys are tough. The between the clan, the Hugoths and the regular Eridorans, they just get completely stopped. Then mysteriously, a black plague occurs. So, what does that tell us? It's like he must be talking to somebody. He must be the one behind it. And the thing that um, makes me think this is because in the prologue, it first says. Uh, Croesus is his first, um, what did they call him? His first, uh, Duke? gosh, Commander? Uh, first Earl? Duke. They call him the first Duke. Duke. Okay. And then they name the eighth Duke or they don't name the eighth Duke, but they say there's a place called, uh, Fort Mont uh, or Montfort that ha- is the land of the eighth Duke. So we got six other Dukes. We don't know what their powers are, right? Any one of those six. He could have made a pact with. Or where their true loyalties lie. What do you mean? Well, there's always a possibility to turn somebody to Team Eriador. Yeah, true. Yeah, you gotta, you're absolutely you gotta, right. you got to know where your bread is buttered, though, especially when the lands are taken over by a crazy wizard king that could kill you in an instant. Right. And um, so I I feel like, okay, first Duke, why did he, why did he team up with uh, Croesus? Well, he wanted to take over the whole land teams up with them and wipes freaking Avon in a clean sweep in two weeks. 
no problem. So that makes I, sense. He's the first think, dude. And I think it's well-known information, especially from the prologue, that the Cyclopians are vast and fierce. Yep. And strong. Maybe not strong enough to take over a riot order, but Avon, not a problem. And especially if you have a general or someone like making the calls, the big calls. Like Croesus and Green Sparrow. Yep. So that makes sense. He's a first duke. Hey, you help me take over the land. You'll be my, you're my first one. duke. He's the muscle. Well, now we have six other dukes we don't even know about yet. Um, and then we have an eighth duke, which eighth we do duke actually. from Montfort, right? Yeah, from Montfort. And so he's kind of holding down the Montfort. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I just got the joke. Uh, he's holding that down. So there's six other dudes that he could have made packs with. Every one of these dukes we can assume he's made a pact with because of some reason. We don't know why. We don't know how, what their power is. We don't know uh, any of that. But we just all of a sudden know that after he gets blocked, him and his first duke get blocked. And a couple weeks later, Black Plague shows up. Oh, what do you know? We got Eridor now. So, and then the last person that is mentioned in this uh, prologue is Luthien Bedwear, and this is his tale. So let's go to, there's some other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, yeah, I got some questions for Bob. So that's that's basically the prologue, guys. I mean, we're not going to drag that on anymore. I just wanted to talk about it. Um, I had some questions for the author, Okay. So if, if when we when we get Bob on to talk, because that'll totally happen, um, is the multicolored lichen of the five sentinels growing or glowing? I want to get a final answer. Okay, uh, in the prologue you mentioned uh, Ariador is untamed like three freaking times, and you and I talked about this. The Ariador untamed. Yep. Ariador untamed. Yep. Lands untamed. Jesus, Bob. It is a good way to hammer home a really important point, though. And it does he does a great job of doing it because all throughout this discussion, we've been talking about how Horiador is the one that is difficult to conquer. We've been talking about how they're the ones that stand the best chance of survival in a fight. So even for as many gripes as we may have about untamed, 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 come on, how many times are you going to say that? It hammers home the point. Yep. And, and you haven't forgotten you about it. it. That makes sense. I was thinking like maybe it was two different places because I was still confused with the whole Pretoria, but I think we talked through that and that makes sense now. I thought maybe it was Erlador. It could be Erlador. <sighs> Thanks, guy who who did the uh, reading, reading, <laughs> whatever they call those narrator guys. Okay, and then that was my last question. How do you pronounce Erador? In the audiobook, it sounds like Erlador. So I don't know if maybe it's just some fancy fantasy writing that the the I is silent and turns into an L. Or it's just some guy reading your text incorrectly. Hey, whatever. Paycheck's well, a paycheck. He can say like, however he wants. And that's my question, too, right? Like, in the book, it's E-R-I-A-D-O-R. Like, how do you screw that up? Yeah. You know, the, the only Iriador, way I can think about it is Iriador, if that guy, like, you know, that narrator, maybe when he reads his copy, he likes it to be all in caps, maybe, you know? Maybe. So it's easy to read, but then... Could be. But then the noob makes mistakes. He's not a noob. He's, he was really good. I I, I enjoyed his uh, reading. Okay, that's prologue, guys. Yay, prologue complete. Chapter one. All right. You ready for chapter one, Ethan's Doubts? This is it. kind of a short. So I want to actually, because this is a chapter that really stuck with me, right? So these other chapters, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I think that's about Luthien or his buddy the Hugoth or this, that, and the other thing. But this chapter really stuck out to me, right? Ethan, he's standing up on this, like, balcony overlooking the port. And here come these ships. Here come these Cyclopean ships with the black sails, right? Yep. Or these black ships or whatever they were. But he's standing up there and he's watching things coming in. And that's such a, that's such a, just a stunning moment. And, of course, uh... Yeah, his father father comes up behind him and he's talking to him and he, oh, you know you can tell that Ethan is not happy. You can tell that Ethan is not comfortable and is immediately taken aback by Garrus's refusal to stand up and refusal to be strong and mighty again, even though he knows how powerful Garrus once was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's such a strong scene. It's God. a good opening because after the prologue, you're kind of left being like, okay, I've got the big picture. You know, now where do we go? 
And by it starting at such a micro scene, like just we're with one character and he's in the, he's describing his point of view. It's like, okay, not only can this guy write about macro, the big stuff, what's going mm-hmm. on, but now he's going into details where you can actually feel like you're in the scene. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's read this first sentence. Ethan Bedwyr, eldest son of the heir of the Bedrogen, stood tall on the balcony of the great house in Dunvarna, watching as the two-masted, black-sailed ship lazily glided into the harbor. So that tells me two or three things as a writer and as a reader, right? I'm picking something out here that maybe some people aren't picking out. First of all, the way he describes Ethan stood tall on the great house in Dunvarna and watched as the black-sailed ship lazily, keyword lazily, so you see, like, one side is, like, team I care, and yep. the other side is team lazy, almost gifted, almost privileged. Right. And, you know, this, is a good, this isn't getting political. This is just a straight-up statement of, hey, they're the victors. They're the ones who are on top. What have they got to prove? Get on your feet and kiss – or get on your knees and kiss my ass kind of stuff, right? Yep. So, meanwhile, here's Ethan – Standing strong, standing tall, basically that beacon of resistance almost. It's such a great first sentence. I freaking love it. I totally did not get that. And that actually makes it sound way better. And that's what I like about our discussions about books and why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place, dude. Because when we have discussions like this, I get to understand more about someone else's perspective as they read. And I pick up on things now that I never picked up on before. Like that little dichotomy there. You know, that's the, I mean, without getting too off the chapter one, that's the thing that I both like and don't like about like chapter or book analysis. Because with book analysis, they like, especially in like uh, collegiate levels, they're always trying to pick a theme. Like the theme is love. And these are all the examples how love shows in. The writer just wanted to write a good book, you know? So what we talk about or what, what I see bringing up, even though Bob may or may not have done that intentionally, yeah. my guess is he did it intentionally. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like the people that say, I took this out of the book and the book told me to do yes. this. No, that's your interpretation of it. Correct. So and that's, this interp- is all our interpretation too. But it, You know, and my yeah. interpretation of this, just this first sequence, and look at this, look at this, look at this. The proud man wore a frown even before the expected standard Ships of the are cross open palms, so it would be yep. uh, like this. Over a bloodshot eye came into view. Like he just knows, and he just dreads it. But he's still proud. He's still strong, and he ain't quitting. And I love that. It yeah. made me immediately get on Team Ethan. Like I'm Team Ethan all the way right me now. Me too. And I maybe something Ethan. will happen, and I'll be like, oh, I hope he dies. But right now, I'm as a reader. I'm like, oh, I kind of like this guy. And I'm only half a paragraph into the first chapter. Like, Yeah, it starts off really strong. Yeah. And then um, I meet Garrus, and I'm like, all, we hear all the, but we hear OG. all this stuff about Daddy G, right? So here's Garrus, and he's, you know, he was once a great warrior, or so I think I remember anyway, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, kind of a pussy, Garrus. You're kind of a pussy. Your thoughts? He's an old man, you know. Okay, so I'll I'll do the the quick synopsis or summary here of chapter one. So this is how it goes down. But that is a great intro to the literally the first uh, sentences of the chapter. It's a great start. So Ethan, who's Luthien's bro, is being salty on top of the great house in Dunvarnon, which is well, let's pull far out north, the map. Far north, upper left. Far north, upper left, right underneath the word Avon Sea in the. Uh, in there. Okay. Uh, and he notices a ship with two banners. One is the crossed open palms above a bloodshot eye. So that's, we're guessing that's Cyclopean, right? Yes. A single eye, you know? So we can already, here's the thing now. We Again. Such He's a so great, good. It is. It's so good. Because how many writers these days, right? Uh, how many authors these days can communicate so much to you with so little? And that's why I think this book is so damn genius. So look at it like this. Take a second like this. We already know just from the masts on those ships, 
also based on the prologue. But we already know just on the masts on those ships that we've got Cyclops, Cyclopians, yep. or somebody that is allied with the Cyclopians coming to yeah, Isle so integrated that their banner hangs with the banner of Green Sparrow yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and uh, it shows you how far they got in twenty years. You know, they're they're just yeah. rolling in lazily into some no maybe they don't even maybe they don't even deserve it maybe the cyclopians got lucky let me ask you this uh this is not in this book let me ask you this what if green sparrow had teamed with eriador and eradicated the cyclopians they'd be in a completely different situation nobody would even be talking about them they won't even be in this damn book the cyclopians yeah think about that if green sparrow had gone up and said you know what i'm gonna be smart i'm gonna team with eriador I'm going to go and forge a pact with the Riador, and we're going to wipe out these Cyclopians once and for all and get rid of this menace. Imagine what that would, they'd be written out of history. Yep. They would. I, but, I was just thinking about that. But why would Ariador or uh, Ariador ally themselves with Green Sparrow? Cyclopians so, are a threat. They are a threat, but they've been able to handle them. They're the hardy people of the North. They don't got a problem. I They're the ones who have to bases. deal with them. If I was king, if I was in charge, I'd do whatever I could to protect my people. And that includes getting rid of every threat. Yeah, but Green Sparrow isn't king. I mean, well, in the beginning, 20 years ago, he was not king. Fair enough. He was just an up-and-comer. There was no king that I know of um, that that ruled the whole land, you know? I was just playing a what-if, bro. Um, Not trying trying to ruin your imagination here. No, that's cool. No, I'm just playing with it further and saying, okay, so if you're living free in your own little township, and then some guy comes up and says, hey, I want to be the new president. Let's get rid of these Cyclopians. Maybe that is, maybe that is uh, tempting. Well, think know? about it. Like, let me ask you this now. What if, what if, let's say Greensboro would have strolled into a riotor and said, okay, side with me and eradicate the Cyclopians and take over these lands with me, or I'm going to unleash a black plague on you and kill two-thirds of you. But I yeah. bet he didn't even give him a choice. I bet he just did it. Yeah, he would probably, I think he'd be more sneaky than that because, uh, Alluding to that in the in the prologue, it doesn't say that Green Sparrow sent the plague. It just says all of a sudden a plague showed up. So he would be like, he would probably be like, "Hey, let's get rid of these Cyclopians." I would hate for something bad with. to come off of one of them and kill two out of three of you on accident. I heard that there's something bad that could happen if we don't get rid of them. Yeah, I wonder who he's working with. So it was just some stuff I was thinking about. Wasn't trying to. Uh, we'll write a fanfic. We'll do a fanfic. Wasn't trying to derail the conversation enough. No, that's fine. Okay, so. We got the Cyclopians. Um, his father, Garrus, rolls up looking tall, old, and fat. Garrus was a tall, was as tall as Ethan, and that was taller than most of the men on Isle Bedridgen. Bedwidrin, um, who in turn were taller than most of the other men in the kingdom. So they're saying that these are tall folk mm-hmm. on this land. So that's right. cool. Yeah. Um, so when Ethan's standing tall... It's a double. He's standing very tall. It's a double. Yeah. He, he this 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 bro is seven feet, dude. Okay, so um, <laughs> so then we get our first glimpse at the Cyclopians. Um, but as the black sailed ship drifted in closer to the docks, the the coarse shouts of the brutish Cyclopean crew urging the islanders into subvert uh, subservient action, Garrus's eyes betrayed his apparent stature. So this is when I get back on Team G. So, yeah, he's, he's, you know, Ethan's pissed at him because he seems to be bowing down or, or kowtowing or whatever, you know, like to the to Green Sparrow and his goons and all these people, allowing them even to come into the harbor. But when he sees, you know, this obvious, like, these guys aren't respecting my people, he does have a little glint in his eye that's like, mm, he's thinking. But that's all you get. You know, here's the one thing I like about Garrus. I'll say this right now. As much as I think he's become a pussy, I'm going to say this. He we don't got time a, for that. He cares about his people. He does. He cares about his people. His people love him. He and really the people does. around him love him. He cares about his people, and he's willing to shut his mouth and know his role and know his place to keep them safe. Yeah. We'll, we'll see more about that coming up in a couple chapters. Which is really hard. Because, yeah. um, you know, that, that's a very much an old man thing. Like being able to know your role and bide your time to make sure you have the optimal situation at hand. And sometimes that means just 
rolling with the punches and you know his kids are young well you know like luthien's 20 years old and ethan's like 35 so they still have that fire you know the fire that he probably had so he recognizes it but well you know it's a perfect chance to mention you know it's like my dad and myself right like i've got the energy i've got the go i've got the fire and the desire and my dad's my dad's old he's in his 70s he's kind of to the point now where he's like you do it you yep. get in the car, you drive out, you drive two hours to go fishing or hunting or do this or do that. You go do it. I'm going to stay home and rest. I've done it. I've been there. I don't need to do it anymore. And I feel like Garrus is kind of there too, which, you know, I mean, rightfully so in an old age, sure. And it's a perfect segue to bring us right into that next section where Garrus asks Ethan, are you going to fight in the arena? And Ethan says, only if... You know, the Duke's cousin is my opponent, and it is a fight to the death. So, yeah. Ethan wants blood. Ethan is not afraid to say it, and it's also going to lead into more action coming up in the next chapter or two. And I think it's awesome how Ethan is portrayed here. Yeah, so that boat is the 8th Duke's cousin. cousin. So, like, the 8th Duke from Montfort, uh, his cousin's rolling around in, like, little pleasure cruise around the islands. With, with his best friend and some honeys. Basically. And um, so when, and we don't know that until Ethan brings up the fact that, yeah, I want to kill this dude. And this is how it goes. So Ethan doesn't care for his father. And so Garrus breaks up the silence by bringing up small talk about who's on the ship. And that's when they introduce, says it's the Duke's cousin and asks Ethan, will you fight in the arena for the pleasure of our guest? To which Ethan spits back that he, the only way he'll do it is if, the Duke's cousin is his opponent and he will fight to the death. And I laughed out loud. I did too. That. Then Garrus scolds Ethan with some fatherly advice on being accepting of his lot in life. Ethan is like, dill gaff. Does it look like I give a fuck? And then he <laughs> thinks his dad's a coward. They go to uh, the training yard where Ethan is dispatching all of his training partners easily to the applause of onlookers. Um, or is that Luthien? I wrote Luthien. Ethan, but I think that was Luthien, right? It's Luthien. Okay, so Luthien's there. So now we first see, we see shirtless e- Luthien. What a heartthrob. All I was playing in my mind was the Baywatch sound. Dun, yep. Dun, dun, dun. As he going, comes running through. Uh, mm. uh, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Get on the ground. You're done. And so then <laughs> it literally says something like he towels off. Yeah. yeah. Luthien towels off and runs off. Yeah. Got to towel okay. off the sweat off his abs, bro. He's got an eight-pack, dude. So then, and he's also tall, so. Hey, if you're 5'9 and under, don't even bother Snapchatting me, dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And okay, tell so, before you send me a pic, bro. Seriously. Yep. How tall are you? Um, Ethan then starts to leave from the balcony, uh, but not before he sees three one-eyes beat up a fisherman and wants to interject, but walks right into the two of his father's Cyclopean guards. Uh, Green Sparrow gave Cyclopeans um, out like candy to everybody in the Empire. Like, so like, he's like he's basically the Oprah of the Empire. You get a Cyclopean. You get a Cyclopean. Cyclopean. Everybody get Cyclopeans. Oh oh oh! (laughs) So this is when we actually meet them, and through the through the whole opening, we're hearing about merciless Cyclopeans. Freaking, they got a bloodshot eye, you know. And then we meet them, and they're like. Um, Here it they, is. They, they start getting into a, a verbal argument. They don't so punch gotta, each other. I got to share this. Yeah. He spun from the balcony and nearly crashed into two of his father's own one-eyed soldiers as they walked past. Hera Bedwear, one of the Cyclopians greeted through smiling, pointy yellow teeth. Ethan did not miss the condescension in the brute's tone. So first of all, they're described as brutes, as vicious, as killers, etc. Yep. But there's condescension in his tone. They're smart enough to include this. Yes, subtlety. Was the Era Bedwear true enough? But the title rang hollow to the Cyclopeans, who ultimately served only to uh, only to the King of Avon and his wizard dukes. Uh, oh, he has wizard dukes. There's something. The dukes Ooh, are, some okay. of the dukes are also wizards. I, I didn't catch like that. They got like this circle of wizards, right? The guards, these gifts from the Duke of Montfort, were no more than spies. So then, do your appointed rounds normally take you to the private quarters of the ruling family, Ethan snapped. We have only come to inform the nobles that the cousin of the Duke of Montfort has arrived. Jesus, you are a well-articulated brute. 
Yes, with yellow pointy teeth. I thought the same Hello. thing when I read this. Just wanted to let you know of the arrival of Dos, the Duke of Montfort's cousin. Yes, I, I'm very well articulated for a savage brute. And meanwhile, yeah. I'm thinking, Montfort's cousin's here, wanted to tell you. That's what. Yep. I, that's how I would have written it. But I but, like, but I like how it's written like that. I do too. Because it makes them more, I don't know, cooler bad guys. Yeah, you know, I love cool bad more guys. obvious, and they're condescending and shit. And it's like it's easier to get behind that than just some mindless freaking brutes. That's like, okay, how many of these heads are we gonna chop off? You know, this one, it's like, this guy probably has a family. Well, listen to this. Uh, strange to wear a sword in one's own private quarters, and then here's Ethan battling back with more sass. Yep. Uh, always a wise precaution when smelly one-eyes are about. Smelly one-eyes. A- this is it's so hilarious. I mean, yeah, and not another you word for smelly one-eye. I mean, it's great. Like, Dude, what's the forth, last line? Forth, his last line, forth. his mic drop. So It's amazing. So uh, they have an, this argument is happening in front of a couple boys of Bedrogen. Yeah. There's some boys like huddling in the corner being like, oh, shit, look at it's uh, Master Ethan and a, a couple of the Cyclopians. What's going to go down? So Ethan's kind of got an audience here, and he's got to stand up for the folk. You know, the, He's got now, some people in the crowd waiting on his next WWE promo, basically. Yep, now that the Duke's in town, the Cyclopians know they can boast a little bit because they don't really answer to Garrus when the Duke's in town. Duke's cousin's in town. You know what I mean? I'm so, circling that mention of the Wizard Dukes. Yeah, that's great. Me. So now it's we like, know that all the Dukes are wizards. So that means that yeah, Creasus is a wizard? Look at Salvatore dropping little hints to the other Dukes that we don't know about. Dude, after the first read-through, I didn't even pick up on that. It happens. I that's mean, why we do this. This is how we do this. Uncovering wizard Dukes in Green Sparrow's army. Okay, sorry. Anyway, he so going back to the argument, Ethan ends the argument... You know, with such bangers like Smelly One-Eyes, right? Yeah. We've got a, a real good ender here. Uh, so he ends the verbal assault with, Your breath does so offend me. I love it. <laughs> it's so, like, Shakespearean almost. Like Your breath does so offend me. Yep. And so then the, oh, the wait, boys, the boys snigger and run away. They go, Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fantastic. So, places of note. Bring up the map. Hey. Map. There it is. Isle Bedwidrin. It's uh, right in the upper left-hand corner underneath the Avon Sea. Uh, It's rainy and tough. Luthien has a tan in this. uh, They mentioned when they describe Luthien when he first gets introduced. Luthien has a tan which says something for his love of the outdoors because of how much it rains. Absolutely. Love that little piece there. You know, he's got a tan. Says something about, you know, the land. Um, we have a we have an immediate sense with Luthien that first of all he is well built he's six foot yep. two well twenty years body, old prime of his like, life built like a brick shit house strapping young man and loves the outdoors he's physical he's active so he's got like a bright eye he's kind of like wide eyed and just ready bushy tail ready to right? freaking go he's he and he's like a little. Um, he's like a good dog. He wants to make his dad proud. He wants to make his big brother proud. He wants to prove himself within his family. But the question is that we'll find out as we read further in this book is, can he do both? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, now, and we're yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Say what else you want to say. Nothing. Charlala. I think we're at time, Dan. Oh, okay. Okay. So let's finish it up. Okay, so we're just going to take a couple more minutes just to finish up chapter one, Absolutely. and then we'll end the episode. Okay, awesome. So special people that are brought up. Garrus. Oh, actually, look, first we'll do species. Cyclopians are mentioned more in this. Yep. They have pointy yellow teeth, uh, seemingly spies for the king and dukes. Uh, not as tall as humans, but much bigger. Well, they're not seemingly bigger. spies for the dukes. They are spies for the dukes. Yes. Well, we don't know that for sure. They're placed in every kingdom as like emissaries kind of but we know that they are spies okay so they weigh in at usually 200 to 300 pounds stringy hair and bloodshot eye flat wide noses almost non-existent lips so they kind of look like me a little bit and they have no chin (laughs) i don't know how you do that hey hey the uh the heir of bedware of gareth (laughs) <laughs> it's like how can how you are not... you so articulate? Yeah, dude, did you brush take your an teeth. English class? <laughs> brush your freaking teeth, dude. Okay, so that's um, we got some more on that. 
Um, Ethan Bedwear, eldest son of Garrus. He's 35 years old. Luthien's big brother. He's the black sheep of the family. He's got cinnamon-colored eyes. Mm. Tall and skinny. Oh, silver shock of hair. Uh, light blonde. Uh, and he's got a weathered face from fishing on the dorsal. We were talking about the dorsal sea. That place is full of killer whales and shit. Um, it's hard to fish up there. So he's got a he's he's a he's like a guy like us that has been working for many years. Yeah, you know. Um, then we got Garrus uh, Bedwear. Uh, he's the Earl of uh, Bedwidrin or Eorl. Eorl. E the the word is E O R L. They don't Earl explain it. A Bedwidrin. Yeah, Eorl. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Eorl. Um, basically, I think that's just an Earl, like a duke, yeah. almost. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so he's Luthien Ethan's dad, seemingly good leader, broad shouldered, ripped arms, and has a bit of a belly. Has to make Luthien, tough decisions. What's that? Has to make tough decisions. Like, how many beers am I going to drink before I go and meet with the dude's cousin? <laughs> how do I maintain this gut? <laughs> yep. Hey, why have a six-pack when you can have a whole keg, my man? Damn right. Okay, Luthien Bedweir, youngest son of Garrus. He's 20 years old. Little bro to Ethan, 15 years his junior. Golden child, always training. Strawberry blonde hair. Six feet, two inches. It's actually mentioned. He's six feet, two inches. He's actually two inches over six foot. Yes, good catch. Good catch. That's how it's written in the book. And I like that writing style. He could have just said six feet, two inches, but it makes it sound, it brings you more into the world because they say things like, I'm 20 stones in weight, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Two inches over six feet. It just kind of gives you an idea of how you're in it. It puts you in a different world. Salvatore does a really great job of bringing you into the story. Even if you don't necessarily want to go that deep, he pulls you in with stuff like that. And I love yep. it. And you can skip over it. It's easy enough to read. You understand it. If you don't yeah, like that, so it doesn't matter. It's just a one-off little two inches over six feet. You move on. You know exactly what it means. Yep. It's wonderful. And then we got the Duke Mumford's cousin. We haven't actually met him, but we he's mentioned in the first chapter. And we got the Praetorian Guards, the guards of the Emperor. Um, but in this case, it's Greensparrow. They call the they call the um the Cyclopeans the Praetorian Guards. And that's it. That's chapter one, people. Okay, so before we end this episode, how do you feel after chapter one? What are we looking for? What do you think is going to happen? What are your feelings? How I feel in chapter one, you know, obviously I've read, you know, all the way up to the part to where we meet Deburos. But my... Deburos. When I first read this, my thoughts was, I actually want to read more. Yep. Because... Because I knew, I knew, as a writer myself, I knew some shit was going down. I knew it was. Somebody's going to be fighting. Luthien's going to be fighting somebody. First, I thought he was going to fight Ethan. Because that is a fight, like, as a fan, like, I do want to see. Even yes. if it's just for show later in the book. Or well, even they mentioned the that. Next. I mean, I think they mentioned in the next chapter, they they go into more in depth about the arena and stuff like that. But and they say, like, Ethan, Ethan left. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to see it. I want to see those two just throw down and luthien's got a hundred combats in the arena or something like that over and no victories over his brother and has won every single one of them except for his first which was against ethan who left the arena shortly after that he's just like nah it's not for me i'd, I'd kill you i'd kill you don't need to boast but i'd i'd I'm like retiring with the championship around my yep. waist i'm going home taking my girl you know that kind of stuff yeah um i like that feeling because I'll tell you what that does. That draw that is as the younger sibling myself, that is a driving point. That is a that is a point that makes you, the younger sibling, a workhorse if you grow up in that environment. Because Luthien wants to prove he's just as damn good. And I love that. Yeah. That is so a good. feeling that I felt right here when I was reading that. I'm like, oh Teary getting teary eyed, getting a little pitter patter in my heart for this guy. I want I want him to succeed. I love it. I love him already. Yeah, well, I mean look at the fact that they even have a father a son and a brother. How many fantasy books do that? I mean, it's not too often that you see most of the time when you start with a, a uh, this, I would consider this like a beginner fantasy book. If you want yeah. to get someone, a young yeah. child or, or like a middle schooler, or yeah, maybe middle schooler, early, or high, early school, high school into a book. This is a good one to recommend off the bat, but usually it's with the main character being an orphan 
or he has forgotten all his memories. He's got no ties to nobody. In this one, you've got the first people established are people that are related to the main character. You don't meet the main character first. You meet his dad and his brother, and they have their own things going on. And the brother is kind of considered the young one. Um, he's spirited, but you know he doesn't have any real-world experience yet. Ethan, we already know, has real-world experience. He's been working for years. Um, he's, he's kind of... The things that are so important to Luthien, like the arena, training, all that kind of stuff, he has put behind him in an effort to become whatever he wants to go on, yeah. you know? So he's already past that. The dad's even more past that. So it's just cool to see the dynamic of an actual familial relationships in I this book. It. I love it. And I love the way the dynamic plays in the next couple of chapters with Ethan and his father. And, uh, you know, I mean, well, we're not worried about spoilers, but, you know, with Ethan leaving and stuff and Luthien chasing after him and trying to catch up to him, I love that. I just love that. It's like, what's going to happen when he finds him? What's Ethan going to think of what Luthien's done? Like, I just, I love it. I love it. And it keeps me reading. That's cool. So, yeah, I didn't love it. I, I, when I read the first chapter, I'm like, this sucks. Because, okay, so I like the writing. I like the setting. But I did not like the politics. I hate politics in books. But it's such a driving force, though. I know it is, but I hate that stuff. You just want Garrus to punch the guy out. You but want he's it not. so he's being badly. Such a, he's being such a wiener. Here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. While you're reading or listening to this, because I, I, you probably listen to this more than actually read it, but while you're while you're listening to this, are you not just biting your hand saying, just punch him in the goddamn face? Like, I'm pressing you... skip forward 15 seconds. Skip forward 15 seconds. Are we done with this political scene yet? Skip forward 15 I'm kidding. No. I listen no, to but every word. Like, aren't you just, aren't you just begging? For Karis, Garris yes. to just turn and just sock that guy right in the face. You know you want it to happen. Or just say to Avanessa, shut the hell up. Like, yeah. aren't you just waiting for it? You want it. Yes, I do. But to Look see at him what just bow down done. so easily, it just reminds me of like, okay, Game of Thrones, and this is one of the reasons why we don't do, we're not going to do Game of Thrones, is because also because I'm not going to read that much. <laughs> same, I, you know, I tried to listen to it, and there were parts that were interesting, uh, the whole crow yeah. stuff, or whatever, doesn't matter. There's a lot of politics in, in the beginning. Okay, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, it's already done. So if you haven't freaking watched it, whatever, I whatever. We don't care. In the first <laughs> book, or in the first, uh, uh season ned stark leader of the north gets met up with with the king or whatever and he gets himself involved in the politics to the point where he gets his head chopped off not only that but the dogs get killed uh the girl's friend uh gets killed it's all these things that are just super unfair and the reason is we got to bow down to the king i hate that stuff it reminds me too much of real life and i like to escape real life by reading yeah, these books it immediately makes you you're invested the yeah. king it's very it's a very good hook of like okay it is a great you know way exactly to make you who say this how is. does this guy die yeah there's no question that green sparrow's bad there's no question that the the duke's cousin is being a little bitch yeah and like totally taking advantage of his station yeah, of you course know? so but that'll come uh, up the first later chapter. When we I didn't like. The, when we get I mean, I, I like the establishment, but I'm like the thing that I liked about the first chapter is that I was done with it. Okay, let's move on. Let's let's get to the action. Let's well, find out get... where this goes because yeah, I'm gonna cause... know. But I can tell by the way they're writing the politics into this. But that by chapter three, I'm gonna know if I'm gonna like this book or not. Well, that's once, what I felt like. I really like when Luthien, uh, once he finally leaves home, like that's my favorite part so far. It's just like, okay, now we're on an adventure. Like, yeah, if he hadn't left home, I don't know if I would have kept reading. That's fine. If he, if it was just going to be politics in Dunvarna. <laughs> watch out. There's the a Crimson Cyclopean Shadow, guard. book one. Politics of Dunvarna. There's a Cyclopean guard around the corner. Let's listen in to what he's Let's saying. Oh, God. Let's oh, not no. kill him, though, because if we kill him, Green Sparrow might come here. Yeah. So. Well, next episode, I, chapter two. Yeah, I guess, you know, we were going to go through prologue through chapter three, but I guess what we're going to do is we're going to do two chapters at a time. I know? know with how much we discuss, there's no way we'll get more than two or best three chapters in an episode. There's yeah, no we'll way. try to keep it to an hour. You know, these first chapters are always going to be longer just because we're establishing the book. We're talking about our feelings about it. The next chapters will go by a lot smoother. There's some um, there's some really cool scenes coming up I'm really excited to talk about. Wait, I'm so yeah. excited to talk the about The arena those. fight between... Yeah. 
Oh, Luthien and his bro. It's such good writing. God, it it's great. <laughs> dude, it's so good. I, I got I wrote down like the fight, you know, like when we were at the, the wrestling thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. what do people write down like each move as yes. they go? Yes, I did that do. because it is choreographed a lot. It's of it so is. good. It's so yep. good. I that would be a question I have for Bob for chapter two is dude. How? How do you know how to fight? <laughs> Like, uh, how did you know this stuff? Where, when did you learn this stuff? Anyway, so great. That'll be for next episode. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. This was I'm, really fun. Hey, I'm always happy to be here, Dan. You know, I want the viewers to leave their thoughts down in the comments. First of all, what did they think about this discussion, this first episode of the podcast? And what do you think about these first, the prologue in chapter one of the Sword of Bedwear, book one of the Crimson Shadow? You guys definitely should let us know in the comments down below. If you did enjoy the podcast, hit the like button. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, Dan, why don't you take us home? Cool. So this was a Random Book Club podcast. Thank you for joining in and listening to our discussions on the prologue and chapter one of the first book of the Sword of Bedwear Crimson Shadow series. Uh, if you want to join in, yeah, just like Justin said, write in the comments. But if you pick up this book and you get ahead of us, if you want to join in this talk, you can jump in. Just contact me and we'll... Um, we'll set something up or maybe not for this book, but if you have a book that is one of your favorites, you know, send me an email saying, I love this book. Let's read it and we'll read it together. We'll just do this. That's the whole goal is to just basically have a book club where we go in depth on these books, do a bunch of spoilers and just enjoy reading like a real book club. So anyway, thank you guys for joining me. Tune in next time for some more sort of bed. We boy. <laughs>